0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Mulk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as screenwriter. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Blake Ashford. Hi Steve, how are you? Oh, look, Like I'm doing all the better for speaking with you, my friend. Yeah. Can I ask, to start with, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, look, I have actually thought about this before, and I, I, um, I say I write for film and TV. I mean, strictly I should say mm-hmm. I write for one film and much TV. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then inevitably you get the conversation, what have you written? And then you tell people and nobody's heard of anything you did, so... Yeah, I, oh, I write
0: rubbish. for film and TV. I write for film and TV. Rob, no one's ever heard of anything you've done. I look. <laughs> I had a look through your IMDb list, and I look offer that I am someone that's a little bit fascinated with television, yeah. so I have an interest in these things. But just even the top five or six things, the last five or six things that you've written from, uh, sorry, written for have been incredible Australian drama that uh, have either killed it in the ratings or done incredible things as far as local or international uh, stuff. You know how to write the good things. Look, it's,
1: it's really kind. I wasn't trying to sound too humble. It's just you, you do recognise when you work in the Australian film and television industry that most people watch The Sopranos. They don't watch what we, what we create here, but, I, you know, that's probably changing. I, I, was, I was just trying to sound self-deprecating anyway. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Look, that's okay. I'm happy to blow smoke up. That's, that's <laughs> my job for this one. Um, I will offer, if people haven't seen um, what honestly is the finest Aussie drama this year on your televisions, it's called Barracuda. Uh, at the time that this will go out, the final episode will have just gone to air Sunday night on the ABC, but it's all available on iview. Uh, it is an amazing uh, TV series uh, and a great translation of Christos Chalkes' novel, which... Blake, you were very much part of the team that did this. You've done a great job.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was a really good job, actually. And um, I know people frequently talk after the fact about uh, what, what a great sort of time they had. We're so careful in this industry not to upset people. But in this case, it was just a really good team. Christos was involved at the start, and then he mm. pretty much let us do whatever we wanted. We had to make quite a few changes with it as you as anyone who's read the script uh read the, sure. the novel knows but um i was just really excited to tell a sports story you know i mm. i loved rocky i loved rocky all all of the rockies even rocky yep. five you know i um i haven't actually seen rocky wow. Barbar, though. Rocky five's pretty great have you seen that one mark mm.
0: I, I have mate though i, I will offer that the, the reboot uh you know rocky baba with with him now as the coach is uh is pretty full-on pretty good well look i i what I
1: like about Rocky 5 is Rocky 4 ends with him fighting in Russia and then Rocky yes. 5 starts with him getting off the plane from that but 10 years have passed. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's, he had this he had this flight he's had a 10 year flight from Russia to America and then he gets off the plane you know and someone picks a fight on the tarmac. It's a pretty good it's a pretty ballsy conceit I've got to say to pull that off. Yeah.
0: Depending on who you fly with, it could feel like yeah. ten years. <laughs> yeah. <prior to> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you're right. I mean, one of the, the interesting things that we, we face in Australia as far as that we have so much access to incredible drama from overseas, though I would offer in the last, oh, I'm going to say in the last three to four years, the quality and the calibre of drama content that has been coming out of Australia has put us pound for pound well up there. If we look across... Uh, some broad stuff, things like um, Wentworth that has just finished its fourth season uh, in Australia. Incredible Aussie drama. Uh, throw in then the, you know, uh, that's a regular series. We've also got things like A Place to Call Home and those sorts of things. And then like mini series or shorter dramas or, or telemovie things. Um, things like Secret uh, Secrets and Lies, The Secret City, Kettering Incident, uh, Devil's Playground. We're really lucky that... People like Foxtel and the ABC, particularly commercial channels, Sort Yourselves Out, uh, are willing to invest in this and we are winning because of it.
1: Yeah, look, it's. It, I think there was a stat uh, in the last two years. Um, you know, when I started writing television, it wasn't likely that you would see the top-rating dramas be Australian dramas, and that's been the case for a couple of years now, like House Husbands and Love Child... And mm-hmm. an offspring, and they're, they're the shows that are actually the popular successes, and the critical successes, as you say, are Australian programs as well. It's, um, it really is, to paraphrase Malcolm Turnbull, you know it, it is a really terrific time to be writing television in particular. Um, uh, in a strange way, what's happened to the contraction of the film industry has been the benefit of, to the benefit of uh, television, you know. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, the kinds of the kinds of things you used to be able to make as films that people find it very difficult to make these days. So that that cinematic talent tries to find a way of telling those stories, and they frequently are coming into TV now. And so we're working with uh, a lot of people who weren't involved in TV ten years ago.
0: Surely the lesson then is that if you think you've got a good Aussie feature film in mind, make sure you can work up a four or six ep uh tv treatment for it and you're probably going to get it made
1: no no look that's 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 really really the case and also i think the audience is more likely to follow you to to television Mm. than they might be to spend 20 dollars and go and see a film i mean i had a film out uh last year i think it was and you know we were in the we were in the the cinemas for a week and a half two weeks i think so Wow. Just television gives you the opportunity to actually reach an audience, and and then the way with um, you know everything's in box sets and and downloads, you can actually keep that audience yep. for a longer period of time than than trying to you know have it in a in a cinema in one inner city cinema for for two weeks, you know.
0: And and we do have the benefit of the catch up services, you know. Now now that it's two thousand and sixteen, and Netflix and Stand and Presto are things that we're uh, much more used to. And throw in the fact that ABC iView and SBS On Demand and the commercial catch-ups are so much a a broader part and so important to the success of a TV show. You know, the overnight ratings are no longer the make or break, or at least they shouldn't be. And I know that uh, Richard Finlayson, the head of ABC TV, came out and basically said as much recently. Um, that's, That's a real benefit to Australian TV, Australian drama particularly. Well, look, uh,
1: a few years ago, so the first step of Barracuda was up against MasterChef, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: and so our overnight ratings were were not great. But the ABC is, I I don't know the exact ratings, but it's done incredibly well, like, you know, almost one and a half million with the various different catch-ups, which would be, if we got those as overnights, that would be, basically the show of the year, just about. So it's yep. interesting um, how that stuff all works. And and a few years ago, uh, you know, Barracuda would have been thought of as a failure and if it was an ongoing series, it possibly would have been cancelled because of the overnight, so not not taking into account all these. The actual audience for drama is, is very large out there, whether or not they choose to watch it because they want to see, you know, whether Matt or... Ellie, Ellie Wynn's um, MasterChef, they will probably rather watch that in the moment, but they'll catch up with the drama the next day or, or later that yeah. night or on Saturday, yeah.
0: Yeah, so critical. And, and I know that, well, to, you know, this year, as, as far as, wow, this got very TV nerdy quickly. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, we should. No, 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 that's not your fault. This yeah. is me as much as anything. Yeah. Um, You know, we talk about, we'll take the first episode of Barracuda, you're right, there were overnights, which if you just leant on that figure, you'd say, well, that's not good enough. Uh, but acknowledging that the what they now call the VPM or video play uh, uh, metric that comes out of Oztam, which is counting the number of views on iView, plays into that, as does the seven-day catch-up, as does now the 28-day catch-up. So acknowledging that people will bank episodes that they're not going to watch necessarily in the first week, but they may take up to a month to watch that first episode. So we still haven't even got to... The twenty-eight day metric, which will add even more views into the first episode of Barracuda, uh, and only I would expect build uh, that number for the ABC, which is great—a great outcome.
1: Yeah, look, uh, all this stuff, of course, works because we're not the ABC. We're not relying on advertising, you know. Yes, and and yeah, I don't know how we work out a way where uh, advertisers can still pay for for shows when we're relying on 28 days but you know uh uh, i know that that's what the commercials are thinking about all the time especially when they're Mm. thinking about drama yeah
0: yeah and and it's well look so important and then and then when you see and this is a tough thing uh because we have such a broad access to incredible drama that you know the, the the measuring stick by audiences is is waved pretty harshly on Aussie drama particularly, uh, and when a network like, say, Nine isn't having such a great run in primetime and they, as they are about to do, rush to deliver all of the episodes of Love Child before the Olympics start so that it's not lost in the noise yeah, wow. is a little bit of a shame because there's some high-quality effort put into that that is just going to be, well, and here's all the episodes done.
1: I've, um, you know, you know, this is Attack of the... Killer TV nerds right now, but you know the TV, yeah, yeah. They, but burning or or that they, it's always a sad thing when you're watching a program you've written and they say now on at the special time of ten <laughs> yeah. thirty, you know what I mean, and People then the time of two a.m. <laughs> yeah, and it's back to back, it's double episodes at ten thirty. You know yeah. they want to get them on. I don't think perhaps that's exactly what because Love Child has a big following, but yes. as you say, the Olympics is going to take over isn't it and it's going to be hard um channel 10 are always quite savvy aren't they in in programming things against people for people who don't like the olympics but i think nine and seven seem to be in that olympic you know in this big sport tempole business so
0: yeah no question look programming at the commercial network layer between seven nine and ten is a blood sport it is uh and was i think well chronicled by uh, I think it was um, uh, News Limited, recently did uh, an interview with all three programmers from oh, from okay. the commercial networks and talked to them, asked them about what, what did they perceive were their big wins, you know, maybe some mistakes, shows they wish, formats they wish they'd got, those kinds of things. And that was pretty telling uh, in that regard. And and it sounds like between the three of them, it's a bit of a, um, uh, you know, sort of group um where they, they all seem to like each other pretty well because they talk about getting together for for Christmas drinks and, you know, whoever won the year buys the buys the first round and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it is harsh.
1: I think I skimmed a little bit about it. It was interesting that I think only Seven said that their biggest acquisition was Downton Abbey. They were the only ones who mentioned mm. drama, whereas the other ones were missing out on, for instance, The Voice or missing out on, you know, uh, a, a big yep. reality franchise. So um but yeah uh look I, I, our industry is not so big that you if you have a career of uh, i've been uh, writing professionally for sort of a, a bit over 10 years and i have worked with just about all people you know in yep. the industry um whether that's have meetings with them or, or or in development with them so we're not that big i can understand that these programmers might actually know each other and might there might be some co- collegiality in some way.
0: It's um, you know ironic for Seven to mention that Downton Abbey was something that they considered to be a good get, given how they treated you know it and the audiences for the last probably three and a half seasons yeah, where. Right. They didn't show it in Australia until two or three months after it was available on DVD uh, because they just wanted it to lead into or be a part of the start of the year when fans were going hunting for it on the internet. Yeah, no.
1: I mean, you can't really do stuff like that anymore. I mean, obviously they did, but they would be relying on the fact um, that maybe Downton's audience is an older audience. I'm making lots and lots of um, uh, stereotypical assumptions here, but... And, and that audience is not the kind to find things online as much. That's all. I mean, maybe. I don't know.
0: You are making some very accurate assumptions, <laughs> though. Seven have without without question shown their hand and revealed that the kind of programming they're leaning on is something that, um, you know, throws to that older demographic when they talk about ratings and those sorts of things. And as have Foxtel, too. They've recognised that that by picking up things like A Place to Call Home, mm. that it's uh, older people who have the money for Foxtel that are willing to necessarily shell out the big bucks, but they also recognise they still need to buy their Game of Thrones and yeah. and, and those yeah. kinds of things, the Night Ofs and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, I just want to quickly jump back to your comment about 10. Ever since they were... Uh, and they reshaped themselves in the early 2000s as being like this youth network. You know, The Simpsons was yeah. on 10 and yeah. Australian Idol and all of that sort of thing. This was the place where you went. They were intentionally... Programming for a younger market, the, the thing that caught them out, which is where they then went through this lull recently, was that all of those people grew up and 10 didn't change. Yeah. Or they didn't adapt and work with that, that demographic. But the smart thing they're doing now is the counter-programming stuff you spoke about where, you know, they'll throw up against the Olympics, the Bachelor, mm. you know, they've got the Bachelorette to come, they've got some great drama lined up that they're going to spit out that admittedly won't come until after the Olympics. Yeah. Um but, they, you know, they've got things that they're willing to say, well, hey, what about this? You don't have to be sport all the time. Whereas at this point, Nine's, this has been the Addis Horribilis for nine Prime Time. They're ready to roll over and die.
1: I am – oh, look, I watch a lot of rugby league, so that's the only time mm-hmm. I actually watch Channel 9. I, I can't yes. think of really uh, – that's terrible to say, but uh, it's not It's not a station that I, that I check out all that often. They're not having a good year, is that right?
0: Look, Nine have had more failures in primetime this year than they've had wins, and they are leaning very heavily on post-Olympics to the end of the year with The Block and House Husbands and those sorts of things giving them a much-needed boost. I mean, the briefcase, big new format, really died in the toilet for them. Love Child hasn't fired. Um, What was the thing they ran at the start of the year? Um, Mm. Renovation Rescue, whatever, Rumble or something, whatever it was. Yeah, That tanked, you know, they really have had a shocker.
1: Well, maybe they'll be looking for a drama that I can write for them, perhaps,
0: if they (laughs) are Well, look, I'd have to say, to lean on um, Barracuda and your love of rugby league, Matt Nabel, who is about to appear, well, there's another one that's coming for nine. He's in hide-and-seek. Yeah. yeah. Um, But he was stunning in Barracuda, just incredible.
1: Thank you very much. He came into it late in the piece too. He wasn't available for a long time and... um, so, so they looked at some other actors and then he became available and he was someone that... Because Rob Connolly, of course, had worked with him before on mm. Gallipoli. and yes. um, Yeah, I think having that sporting background, which he does, and he has sort of spoken a lot about the role that co- coaches he has had um, have played with him. I mean, he had to age up a little bit, um, which I know is a bit of a challenge for him, but I thought he was great too. I thought I thought he was it's a pretty small palette actually for for a big story there's only oh less than 10 characters really significant characters yeah. in the show so uh and and he's a really big we wanted the coach to play a different role than Danny's father as well they couldn't mm. both be the same guy um yeah. yeah matt nabel was he's a really fine actor isn't he i think he mostly works oh. in, in america now but um like they all do but
0: yeah, well, he's been in a ton of stuff in the US, mm. and you're right, but the balance between him and Jeremy Lindsay Taylor's uh, dad character, uh, who I have to say also a massive fan of, he's a great actor. Isn't he? Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that, the family stuff that we saw um, for Danny and his mum and dad and his sister and his younger brother... From the get go, like out of the blocks, you could just look at them and go, "Yep, that's a family. They have been together. The you know, dad's a hardworking, you know, blue collar union guy. Uh, the kids are doing school. Mum's a mum. She cares for them. And uh, I love, I love the touches of uh, that she's, you know, first generation Australian. Or that you know, the daughter of uh, immigrants. Uh, in that regard, and that that's in the you know, the high society private school world." Almost unheard of. It was just delightful.
1: Look, um, that actual scene, um, uh, which is a really memorable scene from the first episode where where uh, Danny's mum meets the other mums from the from The, the hoi polloi, yes. Yeah. That was... We wrote that right at the last minute. We felt that there was a gap in the story and we wanted to create um, a story of two sets of parents as well, basically two mm. mothers and how, you know... Uh, in, in a way, how incredibly similar they were once you got beyond the, the superficial nature of their backgrounds. But yeah, I mean, yes. I I, uh, I had a scholarship to a not not a, not a school like that, but to a to a mm-hmm. fancy school in Sydney, and I remember going there like Danny with with just a massive chip on my shoulder about. So I kind of channeled a lot of and introducing my family, more working class God. family, to wealthier. Mm-hmm people who are all incredibly lovely to your face, but you feel that shock of, like, who are these people and where do they come from? And so so I was hoping to engender a bit of Danny's journey in the first episode with some of my memories of school,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, full congratulations to you and the entire team, Blake. For mine, incredible, incredible drama, and we are the better for having it. Four episodes, people. Go and spend a Saturday afternoon watching those four reps and just be in awe of how good Australia drama can be. It's amazing. Barracuda, do it. Now, Blake, at the risk of this being uh, the Ashford Fan Club, I have some other questions if that's okay. That's
1: fine, as um, as long as we haven't gone down the TV nerd too much. But I, you know I am very happy to
0: go there with you, Malk. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We should also probably plan a, a Malk's TV Talk podcast chat independently yeah. where we'll probably get really personal and not yeah. talk about TV at all.
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah
0: like what would you describe as your
1: superpower what do you
0: do really well
1: look this is a this is an unusual one because i know you have asked the other guests about this and i actually we were talking off air about how the fact that i've nearly you know cut half my lip off shaving today i'm not actually very good at many things i'm the sort of dad who fixes things with sticky tape and yep. glue so we've got lots of things around the house that are held together by incredibly precarious means so i don't really have a superpower but <laughs> but as a writer um the australian industry has changed so much in tv where what the superpower used to be if this makes sense was that you could walk into a to any show and be able to mimic the house style of that show so yes. when i was starting off i wrote home and away and all saints and the clouds daughters and you weren't in a way, you were a better writer the less anyone could tell that you had actually written that show yourself. So it's a weird sort yep. of superpower, but, you know, I've written romance and conspiracies and, and and sci-fi and cop shows, and I've brought, I think, myself to each of them. But, yeah, my superpower back then was you you couldn't really tell that I had written it before, you know, as opposed to someone else. Now, that's a weird superpower, but that's that's sort of the nature of what being a TV writer is you have to you have to learn to write in partnerships with other people you have to learn to write in service of a greater thing that's why it yes. is a little different from more auteur driven writing like like a like a playwright or a or a novelist but recently that is changing now people do want you to to be a little bit more idiosyncratic but for for us that have had it beaten out of us for the last 15 years <laughs> it is hard to remember to find that reason why you thought your voice was important not um
0: does that make sense monk yeah yeah absolutely yeah. And, oh, oh, an extension i guess to that is do you find uh you know that you prefer to write by yourself or to write you know in the broader sense with uh a partner or a couple of people when you're looking at a, a mini series or a, you know, a, like you did with Barracuda, for example, versus something like Home in a Way, where it would be Blake, you've got to write this app and this has to happen. Yeah. Come back with thirty minutes.
1: That's right. Look, um, uh, probably because I'm a bit of a more experienced writer now, and I feel more confident in what I can do. Even though that confidence can disappear, you know, at, like with all of us, every. 10 seconds, it seems, that confidence disappears. But but in theory, <laughs> I am more, uh, you know, I work with a smaller team of people. Uh, we all develop the the stories together. And it's just, yeah, it's sort of like the way that it, that it works in Australia. In the United States, you have those big teams. You have eight, yep. or t- eight or 10 people working on a house of cards. In the UK, it's one person. So they've got a completely opposite. You know, Julian Fellows wrote all of Downton Abbey. And yeah crazy yeah but but even you know abby morgan will write all of river or it's it's mm. it's, it's unusual for them to ever have uh, uh people collaborating over but um yeah i like uh when it's a good when it's someone like belinda Chaco or tony ayres who i worked with on barracuda you know you yep. get you get better stuff out of each other there's a degree of healthy competition but also a yep. uh, tr- sort of collaboration that the, the the crappest situations I've been in have been where you're, you're collaborating with people that are looking for ways to shine at your expense or, uh, you know, run you down in the meeting and that sort of stuff. And that oh, happens yeah. too. Yeah, that happens mm. too. But but Barracuda was just we all, you know, we all got along well and we all kind of respected each other's work. So, Yeah.
0: Man, I, I, just hearing you talk about, well, Belinda, obviously, an incredible talent in and of herself, um, and working with people like Tony and the people at Matchbox, Matchbox Pictures have delivered some incredible drama over the last, you know, even just two or three years in Australia, even stuff that has been really accessible um, to my kids, I think, of like Nowhere Boys, yeah, yeah. and just how much my family and my kids have loved that series. It was a good idea, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really mm, so good,
1: smart. Yeah, so smart. And uh, in the first series, in particular, with the um, just that idea of of feeling like you're not yourself, or I mean, it, I yep. thought there was a real great sci-fi twist, imaginative twist, but also it had a real emotional bedrock that I I'm not in that demographic at all, and and that I was really that I kind of really loved. Yeah, they're a good. I worked for for Tony on a feature film called Cut Snake, and I worked for Penny, Penny Chapman, um, also um, when she was an independent producer on things like um, The Cooks and My Place and and other things. And when they joined together, it was just, yeah, it was really lucky for me. I I, I didn't have to go to two workplaces, so we're <laughs> all together, yeah. But, yeah, look, I think... They're becoming, they, they were bought by NBCU. They're becoming a bigger company. Yep. They need to to make um, things for all networks, not just Foxtel and the ABC, but they've certainly got a really great slate of projects, I think. They're an exciting pe- people to work for.
0: Yeah, well, if you hang around after the credits for some of the best drama that you've seen in the past few years, you'll see their logo come up. It's It's no accident. What is the TV show that has you... Hot under the collar at the moment, Blake. What are you loving watching?
1: I'm in a little bit of a lull, to be honest, Mold. Yeah, I've um, I've finished quite a few things. The thing that I'm completely hooked on is are the three films that make up that are called Paradise Lost. Have you heard of those?
0: No. Do tell. So,
1: so um, like like many people, I uh, I loved Making a Murderer, the HBO the Netflix series, yes. Making of a Murderer and Serial, that podcast, that true crime podcast series. And Paradise Lost, I think, is where – is like the first one of those. So it's set in the 1990s about – so it's three documentaries that HBO made, two-hour documentaries over the course of 20 years where you revisit a true case of – People arrested for a horrific crime. We realise that they did not do, and 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 it is structured in a similar way to um, making of a murderer. So I'm about three quarters of the way through that, and it's just it's so incredibly compelling. And I've yet to see the night of, but that narrative of a of a person, an innocent person, yep. is really really compelling narrative, isn't it? So I, what are you watching? What do you what do you recommend that's good at the moment?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm seven eighths into the night of because yeah. I'm lucky enough to have access to the HBO yep. preview yep. site. I'm hanging on the final episode to appear. Wow. Yeah, um, that that just hooked me in from the get go. Um, strung out on Wentworth, gutted that the season has ended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a brilliant ending on that. So season five, which has just started filming, can't come quick enough. Um, I finished. I, I held this off because I knew it was coming, but I didn't get the chance to watch... Uh, to watch a, a show called Bosch, which oh, is like yeah. an L.A. noir detective yeah. series starring uh, Titus Welliver. Um, loved the first series on SBS. The second one aired this year. I, I recorded it and went, I have a 15-hour flight coming, mm. so I'm going to put that in my back pocket. And I just finished it uh, the other day and loved it again. Like, just so, so good.
1: Is Um, I, I've been doing a little bit of work in the UK the last year and a half, and so I've just mm-hmm. done that trip. And the fact that now, well, like you know, I flew British Airways, but they had podcast, they had um, TV series that you could watch rather yeah. than you know just feature films. That's pretty much all I've been doing is suddenly getting the chance to sit down and watch The Last Panthers or whatever, or, or The Night Manager or the new British yes. series. Just go for woe on a on a on a plane journey. So. Um, I mean, both of those were pretty good shows in in differing ways. I've been watching watching a lot of British TV, I suppose, just to try to get a sense of who they are, what they like, what they, you
0: know, the sort of stuff that's that's going on over there. Um, Oh, definitely. The the thing that I find, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, is that some series I can back-to-back watch and just be absorbed by and it's great and I can't stop, you know, go next or, you know, Netflix gives me the next episode or whatever and that's great. There are some shows that I watch and I have to almost ration them out yeah. because I'll watch it and go, There was so much that happened in that. I need to just sit and ponder. Like, I think back to Breaking Bad. I watched it when it came out week to week, and uh, I'm, I've rewatched it once and I'm going to rewatch it again because I'd already seen it. I can let it blow over me a little bit and be just absorbed in the world again. But if I watched Breaking Bad for the first time in a binge scenario, I don't think I'd love it as much because there is so much going on and so much that I needed to process that had I not had that week to think about it and to talk about it with people and those sorts of things, I, I, you know, I just would have thoroughly underappreciated it. Look, it's a great point,
1: especially with that show that's um, – I think that show is possibly the best um, – sorry, I'm going to sound too TV techie, but it's the best <laughs> – pl- I think it's the best plotted TV show I've ever seen, or people will Mm. ever... Like, not all shows have to have incredibly uh, um, twists and turns and and incredible hooks. Um, That's not what all shows are about. Mad Men is not about that, you know. Um, It's it's another kind of show. But as far as um, getting you to the end of that episode and ratcheting up the tension on these characters, every scene... Getting oh, worse yeah. and worse and worse. That show's just you know you could teach writing from that show, and and I used to find with it that I was just too tense at the end of it to think of banging on another one because you you feel like you've been through such a incredible ride on on all of those episodes um, that yeah. I yeah I agree I do miss. Oh, look, I'm, I'm being I'm being ridiculous. Uh, the, the weekend we had no internet and suddenly we were back to watching DVDs and everyone was in <laughs> such a like a really cranky mood which is like we can't just watch the television we can't you know (laughs) like because we didn't have access to everything but I do agree with you that I do miss sometimes um having a break between not being able to roll into the next episode because um you know you, you write something it takes you four months to write you shoot um I was lucky enough to be in the edit for some of the things that I've recently written and, and that can take weeks to edit. So, you know, you talk about a year um, before you even talk about the pre writing planning, developing, and you should respect it. You don't, you don't just watch another film five seconds after you get out of the cinema, you walk down the steps and you, you know, you have a cup of coffee or you have a drink and you talk a bit about it or think a bit about it. So, and the effort that people are putting into telly is, is quite comparable these days. Malk, when I started, um, yeah. my, my boss told me quite seriously, um, she said, people are doing the ironing while they're watching your show. So you need to remind them of the plot basically two or three times Every couple of minutes, because they're, wow. you know, that was how TV you know, was was perceived. That people are having dinner, they're putting their kid, they're getting their kids um, ready for bed, and the television's on mm. at the same time. So a kind of a way of writing developed that, and you would know it's it's bad television. It's the way of writing developed yes. that you had to you had to have people turn around and go, "Let me get this straight. Are you telling me that you're leaving me? <laughs> you know that sort yes. of stuff. Let me get this straight." Or um, you're telling me if I go through that door, there's a guy with a gun on the other side. That sort of stuff that you. And now, it you, it feels like the audience demands that you don't do that stuff anymore. They're not necessarily oh. ironing anymore. So, um, um, I yeah. Anyway, I don't even know if I've answered anything, but.
0: Oh, I think we're well beyond answering anything. i <laughs> oh, just talking oh, about good. stuff. Oh, good. What. What uh, what advice would you give to those that uh, are contemplating or wanting to get into screenwriting in Australia these days?
1: It is it is um, a question you get asked a little bit when you're a, um, mm. a more experienced writer, and it is it is tricky. The the tell me, Blake, how can I take you? Uh, Look, how can oh, please. Sometimes, some days, <laughs> uh, can you shave without cutting yourself? <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that would be the first requirement. But um, there used to be when I was talking before about when I started, which is even really only ten years ago. There was there were these big shows that that that, that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And mm. and I know people listening might remember, but you know, I, I started on All Saints, which was we We made forty four episodes a year. Oh, I know yeah. And my boss, Louise Crane, the incredible Louise Crane, every Tuesday she just would come up with the idea for an episode in a couple of hours because you had to do it that week because they had to mm. film it, you know, they were filming at the same time. It was an amazing process, but that meant that there were apart from all the writers that worked on that show, there were there were sort of about six or seven of us that were training, and we were script editors yeah. and typists and all that sort of stuff, and all the shows were like that. They had these big offices, which they still have in the United States, but um, nowadays that doesn't exist at all. There's no – there are no script offices. Um, mm-hmm. There are just a couple of writers get together and sort of – Love My Way was the first show that started this. A couple yeah. of writers get together and they do all of the editing and and admin and stuff themselves. So there's no – to be able to get to at the table to write Barracuda, you already need to be an experienced writer. So I worry yes. that there's no there's no sort of pathway, basically, to get to to get to and and networks. God love them, are quite risk averse. So they will nominate who they want to write certain shows. Wow, and yeah. you know, um, uh, people like Chris Merkshire, who people like Belinda. Um, they're on that list, Um, Deb Oswald's on that list, but 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 Mm -hmm. someone starting out isn't on that list, and so they will never get the opportunity. So how do you do it? Look, the the Writers Guild, which is our union, is going to announce something pretty big uh, in this space in the next couple Mm -hmm. of weeks, and as a way of sort of trying to address this, I don't know if you've heard any whispers around Shane Brennan, who is, the, who is the showrunner of NCIS, is coming back to Australia yes. mm-hmm. and is putting an incredibly significant amount of money, of his own money, into addressing this, into creating some way for new writers. So I can't really announce what he's going to do because it's his business, but it's it's yeah. a, a multimillion-dollar investment in Australian screenwriting that's about to happen. Um, except for that, I would say... Uh, We've got to we've got to look for ways of of you being able to a newer writer being able to get in the room to observe to kind of watch how television gets made because that's really the only that's the only way that you can that you can do it and and watch as many Australian shows as you can and if you like them pay attention to who wrote them or pay attention to who made them and then contact those places and and you know say I'm just interested in in sitting in on a show and. Introduce yourself to people like me and, you know, um, and we can go from there and see what happens. It's pretty hard, though.
0: I can imagine, mate. Like you mentioned, you know, America is all about the writer's room and, and those bigger opportunities. So young, uh, when newer writers can get blooded a little bit easier. Uh, but when Australia has no writer's rooms, uh, and it is, you know, almost by appointment yeah. That, that people get selected for stuff, it can be much, much tougher. And while, you know, new filmmakers or directors or stuff have their opportunities in things like YouTube, and yes, a lot of that stuff needs to be written, um, that's not necessarily where the people who commission or select the screenwriters go looking, is it? They may go, oh, you know, you guys did this great series, let's give you an opportunity to make a series uh, for the ABC or SBS or whatever, inevitably in those cases, usually it's the guys who made it or the guys who wrote it or the guys who directed it are the, the guys who star in it. Yeah, And right. I use guys broadly, not just the other not know No, no, no. I mean, well. you
1: know, Fragments of Friday is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an example where... Do you know that show? Yeah. Fragments, Fragments of Friday. So um, Casey Anning, um, who I worked with a little bit briefly, um, I think they're remaking that for a commercial... Network, so that's the best thing that happened. But it it is frequently, yep. um, but but for Casey to be riding on, you know, if there was a barracuda too, that still would be unusual. It would still be difficult. Someone needs to take a big leap of faith in someone and say. Um, so I was coming back earlier to that thing about this being um, having a a, a, a superpower. Mm. I've already proved to a lot of people that that they can give me a spy show and I can probably have a pretty good go at writing that. Whereas if you make your own stuff on YouTube, you you might get before your career has even begun typecast as she, she would only be interested in this sort of um, <clears throat> female led comedy shows. Whereas the old way used to be, you would work on lots of different kinds of shows. So when it came for you to write your own show, you felt, you know, you felt confident you could write any kind of thing basically. Um I think our industry needs to find a way of bringing on new talent because at the moment writers' rooms are staffed with people my age, and you know that that's not sustainable.
0: I don't know, rooms full of twenty somethings it's still not ah, a bad thank thing. Thank you, no, very much. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> this is not a video podcast, so I...
0: <laughs> No, we could call ourselves the Blood Brothers if it was. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Blake, what are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Oh I was I was hoping
1: that would not be one of my questions that I got. Um Look, I, I have a few projects. I've, I've sold uh, two shows into the UK right. and, and I have another. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sold shows, had shows optioned. I know there's a bit of a difference. So we've, um, uh, it's just a really, it's just a little bit of a different writing culture over there. It's a bit bigger um, yeah. and no one knows who I am really. So there's no preconceptions on me. They just take me on the value of my work, which is a nice, Feeling. They also do a lot of different. There's a range of genres that they'll approach. There. Australia is, despite efforts of people like Tony Ayres, um, Mm -hmm. is still is still very narrow in the kinds of work that we can make. I think Kettering's going to push that, and glitch and things like that will push it. But still, it is it is much harder um, to to get certain kinds of genre. Oh, well, Clever Man, of course, will hopefully do that as well. But um, So I, maybe something will happen there. I've got a big show with, with a network I can't mention that we find out this week. If that happened, I would know what I was doing for the next 18 months. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's... The, 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 the terrific thing about writing itself is when you open a doc, you don't know what's going to happen um, at the end of the doc. Like some kind of, some kind of alchemy or magic or something takes over where you, you've got a vague idea what's happening, but you really don't know how you're going to get there. And that's what makes writing so incredibly addictive is that sort of, you know, that sort of magical kind of feeling. And, And a writing career is not that dissimilar. So I start the year with an idea of what is going to happen, but I have really no idea what's going to happen year to year because a projects come up projects fall over it's the nature of you know being a freelancer and after 10 years our Mm -hmm. family has just got used to that crazy kind of rhythm so hopefully something good will happen in the next 18 months
0: hey blake yeah thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued thank you mate
1: you're welcome i'm sorry we got into too much of the weeds without TV, but I I'd lo- I'd love talking about with someone who knows so much.
0: I, I'd, look, honestly, it would be disingenuous if we did anything but, to be fair. <laughs> Obviously, you are a person who tweets from time to time. Are there other social accounts that you would want people to know about?
1: Uh, look, I think, um, I think the... the uh, because I am sort of... Because I have the same name as a rugby league player... It is it – is, uh, it would be surprising how much uh, traffic comes my way that's basically meant to go to the other guy. So what do, <laughs> what do rugby league people get tweeted? Um, pictures from kids wanting wanting messages, birthday messages, mm-hmm. and ladies in bikinis wanting – Obviously, other kinds of birthday messages. So <laughs> I, I just, oh, that's why I'm episode two four eight zero rather than Blake Ashford, and um, that's the best one I reckon.
0: Can I ask where does
1: what's the origin of I, your, your Twitter handle? I, yeah, it's, it's it's very hokey. It's um, the first episode of Home and Away. The first thing I had on air was that episode. Of Brilliant. And, Away, and I think it involved. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember the time when Alf was looking for the Summer Bay Bunyip. But, uh, I think oh, it, uh, brilliant! I think it had something to do with that.
0: Flame and mongrel, <laughs> at, you, but I tell you. <laughs> the,
1: yeah, it was all a prank, though. Anyway,
0: poor Alf. So, at, oh yeah, poor Alf. At the time that you were riding home and Away, who were who were the big stars? Who were the, the starlets on the rise? Um, well, Alf and Fisher was still in it. And oh wow, yeah. they just that we are getting back. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was '98, I think. So, um, Gosh. uh, Angel. Was in it? Yeah. Um, so Melissa Travis, George, yeah, Melissa George was in it. So it was a it was a pretty high watermark. But that was my first thing, and after that, I rolled into um, uh, a program you might not remember called Breakers that was set yes. in a in an apartment block in Bondi. I remember it. Yeah. So we had um, on the bottom floor was um, a youth detention centre. On the to- <laughs> a youth, sorry, a youth drop-in centre. Sorry. Yes. Then, then it had a cafe. Then it had above that a community mm. newspaper, and above that a modeling agency. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so it was all about just people bumping into each other from different worlds. Um, it was yeah.
0: Pacific Drive. It was East Street. It was everything.
1: Pacific Drive was a good. I, I heard a story about Pack Drive mm-hmm. that I don't know whether is true, but um, that they used that the, the the script office was in um, Movie World. Would that be right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. And about every and and the office was right next to the pirate ship, so about every fifteen minutes, they'd have to interrupt it as people went woo, flag not up isn't that great i don't even think it was 15 oh. minutes i think it was like every five minutes was just like people racing past the window screaming and then going back so
0: yeah i loved it. even if it is drive. apocryphal i hope it's true yeah no i hope it's true too oh, the australian television industry That's does not be- get more completely wrapped up in an anecdote <laughs> than that story thank you very much no no it's a good one
1: yeah pack drive it's a good show
0: this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at episode 2480 is indeed a human.